Welcome to Leadership Bites with myself, your host, Guy Bloom. This is a leadership podcast where I have conversations with colleagues, I chat with guests, and sometimes they'll be just me talking. You can connect with me at livingbrave.com. And when you enjoy the episode, subscribe and please tell everyone. So, Sarah, absolutely fantastic to have you on this episode of Leadership Bites. Welcome. Thank you for having me. <laughs> well, I'm super pleased to have you here. Um, I think what uh, what you do and what you're involved in is pretty fascinating. So I'm, I'm, I think this will be something that people will be really excited about. But just for people that don't know who you are, Sarah, um, you know, just introduce yourself with what who you are and, and what your focus is. Okay. Uh, so my name's Sarah Lefebvre. I'm a games-based learning professional. So um, a lot of the time when you say that to people, you get eye rolls, but I'm sure we'll talk about um, why that occurs a bit later on. Um, but what I basically do is I create uh, games for learning for, for adults, um, usually in a corporate setting. Um, I'm also involved in gamification, which is slightly different from games-based learning. But again, we might get to that later on. Um, I run uh, a bi-monthly online magazine, uh, which um, accepts articles from other games-based learning professionals and interested people on, on those subjects. And uh, yes, um, I'm just very, very interested in uh, sort of gameful and playful approaches to learning, and particularly um, in learning around complex problems, complex systemic problems. Um, for example, I'm involved um, in creating uh, a couple of games at the moment, one about climate change, um, another one about unconscious bias. And uh, yes, because games are really good uh, being complex systems themselves. Um, and they're really, really good at allowing us to get inside those complex issues uh, and explore them um, in, a, in a very uh, fundamental um, and sort of deep way. Mm. And I think it's one of those things that probably for a lot of people either has or even does sit on the fringe sometimes of what it is that they think is inverted commas learning. Yeah. For, especially with execs or senior people, there is a kind of a sense of the validity or, you know, you inverted commas want me to, I don't know why I'm doing this with my fingers a lot at the moment, but you, you, know, you, want, me to, you want me to play a game, you know, mm. which is different to, you know, in their minds, it's, you know, I'm used to maybe going on a workshop and we have to do an exercise, you know, to, to learn something. But to have that as the the inherent lens that we're going to work through is is quite tricky for some people. So that, um, yeah, that bringing it, I was almost going to say into the light, but giving it its credibility <laughs> and its its validity, I think, is a is a is a massive uh, thing. And I was just asking you for pronunciations at the start because I was. Um, I was trying to say the word ludagogy and um, <laughs> said something completely different. But that that idea of just uh, that, the, the, that explanation of the, the, the word, where it comes from, um, I think would be just good for people to hear. And I'd like to get into that and then move on to some of the other things we're going to talk about. Well, it's a bit of a neologism. Um, I think it's coming into more into sort of common parlance now, and it might actually be a real word now. Um, but basically, it's a combination of, of two words, Ludo, um, I play, um, and uh, Goggy from uh, things like pedagogy, andragogy, and so on. So it, it brings in quite neatly those two ideas of, of games-based learning. And it's something, um, in terms of the validity, that is increasingly uh, becoming an area of research. Um, 
to, to, to sort of see how games and play actually uh, facilitate learning. Um, but I think uh, games, uh, as a games-based learning professional, and I thought this will resonate with a lot of uh, fellow professionals, we're constantly having to justify ourselves. Um, a lot of that idea about what you want me to play a game, this is too childish, it's not serious enough. We do get that a lot. And, I, and I've been thinking about that quite a lot recently. And I think one of the, the sort of answers to that, and one of the things that I really want to kind of bring home is the fact that we're not masochists. Um, so we wouldn't be pushing this agenda. We wouldn't be saying, you know, games are really good for learning. Um, if we didn't believe that, didn't believe it was a, a sensible way of actually carrying out learning, because let's face it, we have to do this justifying of ourselves and it makes life very difficult. If I have to be constantly going through this every time I'm trying to sell what I do to somebody, why would I do that unless I genuinely believed um, that it, it had some benefits. So, um, yeah, we do it because it's it's effective, not because we want to make learning fun, because it just wouldn't be worth our while <laughs> going through all this pain just to have a jolly time when we're facilitating. Yes, and I think that is, you know, very often I think people sit in a, you know, because that's all we do is think about this stuff, right? Mm, so, yeah, yeah. Which is very different to somebody that goes on a training session or a workshop you know, once a year or twice a year or whatever it is. So, you know, they may not, I, I deal with these exercises. They haven't been on a training course for five, six, seven, eight, nine years. And so anything from where they were to what might be considered to us, well, that's the way it is, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a revelation. So you spoke about um, games-based learning and gamification, and it would be great just to, again, get that clarity just on what that difference is for those that might be coming at this from a from a new space of the fact even the word gamification might be new to some people yeah yeah so games-based learning is reasonably self-explanatory it's the it's the idea that you use games and and playful um, activities or experiences in order to bring about learning gamification is a little bit more problematic um, and I personally don't particularly like the word very much because it has an awful lot of baggage and it is difficult to sort of tie down what it actually means. Um, because a lot of people, there are a lot of different definitions. My particular approach to gamification is what it is about, is it's, it's using um, games mechanisms um, and game-like experiences for non-game um, activities. So for example, um, the idea of that, uh, a very, very simple example of, of something that could be called gamification would be store loyalty cards. You get points um, for staying loyal to the store. Every time you go to Tesco, you get some points, which you can then later on sort of trade in for um, sort of vouchers and so on and so forth. That is gamification because the idea of giving points is a, is a game-like um, mechanism and you're using that in a non-game situation. But that's very, very different from it being a game, it's clearly not a game. Um, but a lot of people get that very confused with the idea of gamification of turning something into a game. So I go to my coffee easy. shop, I get a stamp on yeah. my card, I get 10. I mean, I know it's yeah. a reward, but at the same time, there's a kind of a, a, a an inverted, I'm doing it a lot now, but there's a game, <laughs> I've started, I can't finish. There's a game, there's a game here of some rules and there's yeah. an outcome and, and I get to win 
by getting something at the end if I yeah. keep going. Right. Okay. A lot. A lot of it is. A lot of it is really uh, behavioural economics, I guess. Hmm. It, it's nudging people towards behaviours, and it's used a lot for, for doing that. Nudging people towards behaviours you want by rewarding them in some way. Hmm. It, there's a lot more to it than that, but <laughs> yes, yeah. well, I'm going to presume there is. Well, when, when do you think it became? I wouldn't say. When when do you think people started to really make that separation between? Um, a game that families might play together and actually know this is something that's valid in a commercial space. Is there a history of a bit of a timeline there that kind of go, yeah, you can kind of trace it back to, it's a bit loose, but maybe it's around that period. That's, that's really difficult to say because actually um, games-based learning, although it probably hasn't been called that um, has been around for an awfully long time. Um, in, in in terms of the way uh, it's actually um, implemented. Um, certainly because, uh, for example, um, a lot of the sort of uh, learning theory behind games-based learning is based on the work of, of, of Piaget and Vygotsky, and they, these guys were around in the 20s. So it, it's around constructivism. It's around using concrete... Um, concrete activities in order to uh, facilitate thinking about um, abstract or abstract concepts and so on. So that, in that sense, it's been around for a very long time, which is, again, another sort of thing that sort of comes home um, when you're a games-based learning professional. You know all of that background, all of that uh, learning theory and all of that educational psychology and so on, and you think, why are people saying, thinking that this is a gimmick? Because actually, experiential learning has been around for a very long time. Um, I think um, probably the idea of games-based learning has really come to the fore um, since it's been a lot easier to create games. So I guess it's it's kind of grown up with the internet, grown up with the computer revolution to a certain extent. Because hmm. I, yeah. I was thinking, where would I, where would I guess? And I was thinking about the military when they have war games. Yeah you yeah, know yeah. so they can learn and 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 i don't know is that you know that scenario based learning yeah then you have yeah. games based and i'm just wondering where that where that kind of i've almost got this idea that scenario based learning where let's go and role play and do it is that's not so much the game but we're we're, we're in play <laughs> <laughs> we're in play yeah. but it's con but we're re really replicating what we do in our day job to learn from it whereas yeah. am i am i right and actually no you guy you're not games game um games based learning is more even though it might be scenario based it's more abstract so there's more to be pulled from it or is that no that's not really the the right way to think about it the, these are really gray areas are they okay um, good i love so, a bit of gray so yeah <laughs> uh, uh, you know um i guess Game. I mean, even the sort of games theorists who write these massive tomes about how games work and, and the psychology of it all have difficulty in defining what a game is. And that's usually how all of these books begin. And there's, there's so many different definitions, you know, with, with slight changes in one or two words that somebody sort of like three years down the line will go, I've come up with a new theory and I've changed five or six words in this definition. And, it, you know, it's changed everything. So, so there is that. But 
certainly there was a lot of power in words. Um, and many, many years ago, I worked at a, a, a for a games-based uh, a business um, games company. And one of the things that we used to do is we used to call our games, which were clearly games, we used to call them simulations right. because it made it easier to sell it into certain people. Um, right. Because si simulations, I'm doing it now, Sim <laughs> simulations have, a, have an air of respectability since, you know, simulations or scenario-based learning has this air of respectability, whereas games, everybody's going up to the kids. It's exactly the same thing. Um, right. So, yes, scenario based, a lot of scenario based learning, a lot of simulations are games and a lot of games are simulations. So they, they're kind of the same thing. Yeah. That's probably OK, isn't it? Look, we've got an umbrella. Yeah, we've, got, we've got these umbrella terms, yeah. but it's like yeah. saying training. Well, go blimey. What do you mean when you say that? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's, yeah. underlying it all, it's play. It is play. And and. Again, we have to do a lot of justification of using play, but play is the way that human beings learn. It always has been. It's the way children learn to stand up, walk around. They learn about the world around them. And there's nothing to suggest that suddenly a switch turns and we have to do something that isn't play in order to learn because now we're grown-ups. That just wouldn't make sense. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, I, I think about all the work I've been doing for the last few decades. You know, there's conversations in groups and you go mm. yeah but we're playing with a theme we're playing yeah, with yeah. a question aren't we we a question yeah. gets asked to the room and it may be ambiguous it may be very specific but then we start to talk about it and we're playing with the theme the context the vocabulary yeah. the well you say that word but what does that mean to you and so so maybe in my in my phraseology i talk about having conversations with purpose yeah. And maybe maybe it's it's play with purpose. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, and, all, all and play has a purpose. That's right. right? Yeah. And, yeah. and if that means we just want to connect as a team and just have a laugh, fine. All the way through to no, there's an outcome we're looking for or a development mm -hmm. output that we're looking for. But it's it's just a vehicle, isn't it? Yes. It's yes, a, absolutely. Yeah. But I mean, play, what underlies play is is exploration exploration discovery reward um, and all of those things are, are what should come out of good learning or what should facilitate good learning um, and play is just a very very good tool for doing that I'm, I'm interested in I think when I see the um, and again my language is not the right language because this isn't <laughs> my area of expertise so please course correct me at any time but when I see the um when I see the specifics, the specifics of a simulation, i.e., we've you've gone into a business, and I've even done that, where it's almost a case study in their language, and how will we head into that particular scenario? But then you've got things which, and we were talking about it earlier, the Lego Serious Play, for example, yeah. which may be more familiar to people, especially if you're on LinkedIn, you'll see imagery of people utilizing that, where. It is more the process, it feels to me. Yeah, yeah. Which is separate from you, what you're doing in your workspace, but the process itself is the point. Mm, and, yeah. and so I'd probably like, uh, it'd be great just to talk about, it's not so much that it is Lego Series Play, but it's something that maybe people don't even know what that is because people know what Lego is. But that would be, <laughs> a, that that would be a, 
an indicative of, well, it was play and it's morphed into this and actually maybe a little bit of the history there, but where, where a company like Lego would even get involved in it, actually. And I, mm. I know they've passed it forward since, but uh, that might be worth listening. That might be worth hearing about a little bit. Yeah, so, so Lego Series Play is actually um, a, a different thing altogether. Um, so I wouldn't call Lego Series Play a game. Games are sort of a, a different kettle of fish. Lego okay. Series Play is a facilitation technique uh, which just happens to use Lego. Um, and really, you know, again, there's a lot of justification that tends to have to go into it because of the bricks. Um, a lot of people tend to focus on the bricks and go, oh, you're asking me to play with bricks? And it's... It's just a facilitation technique like any other. It just happens to to use some of those principles that we talked about earlier um, from the educational psychologists back in the 20s about socially constructed learning and using concrete um, objects to think about um, abstract concepts. It uses metaphor quite a lot. Um, I kind of forgot what your question was. Oh, was so it, was it a bit think, about the history? <laughs> yeah, just bring Lego Series Play to life yeah. a little bit because I think okay. that's the point where people may have just seen it in their social media stream yeah. or they've seen an image of it with people with a funny shape. And yeah, yeah. How does that so work? Yeah. Sh- a short history lesson. Um, way back when, I think it was um, the end of the 70s, uh, the chap who was in charge of Lego at the time started to think there was some kind of potential for using the bricks for business learning. Um, but it wasn't really his forte. Obviously, his, his expertise was in making plastic bricks um, and marketing them very well to children and so on. So he couldn't really sort of get a grip on it. He played with it himself for a while. And then he brought on some people from um, a business school in Switzerland, um, asked them to help him with it. And, and together they kind of came up with this methodology. Um, and it was originally, it wasn't uh, originally going to be marketed um, although they did think there might be some potential around put it, pushing it out there. But originally it was kind of a, a tool to be used within Lego. Um, ironically, um, as a result of actually using the technique within Lego, um, they explored quite deeply their own business model using Lego Series Play and went, actually, yeah, what we're doing is we're diversifying a bit too much by getting involved in stuff like this and we need to concentrate on the brick. So what they did was they offloaded Lego Serious Play to the facilitator community and, and it's been there ever since and, and grown and been developed. Um, so, for example, when they, when they offloaded it, they made the methodology uh, available in the public domain um, but the facilitator community who had originally built it were then free to kind of build on that. So what you find in the public domain gives you a very, very limited view of what what, what people are now doing with the Lego series play. Uh, since then, it's been expanded much more to, to allow uh, applications which solve much more complex issues, which look into um, anything from building an individual model to work out where you fit into a team to long um, interventions where executives will um, extract simple guiding principles for how to run their business or how to create a new strategy Um, so yeah that's where that's where it's come from so at its most simple just picking up on on that one the 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 there's a question or a topic or a context that's posed to an individual or or a group and without getting into the mechanics of it, there's then a 
individual or a co-creation or whatever that might be using the bricks yeah which is then a representation of either a feeling or a thought or an expression or an uncertainty or an ambiguity or whatever it might be that then then that manifests as a conversation piece or a, a, a way of verbalizing a represent i mean back in the day i used to get a flip <laughs> chart, i used to get a flip chart and say yeah. you know draw a shield and the one the one part of the shield defines what you're about the other part of the you know we, we used to have all these as you say it's a medium for conversation yeah but it's a it's a tangible force that also probably is much more organic and can shift and is much so that that gives it a maybe a viability during a workshop that exists outside of just a pen and a paper and drawing something yes yeah, so uh, as i say it, it's a facilitation technique so so underlying it all is really that that usual facilitation sort of process if you like which is posing a question uh, coming up with a response and then that discussion and reflection piece um, and that bit just happens to be done with with bricks um, but um, in terms of uh, the advantages of because you as you say you could do that with a pen and paper so why not do that with a pen and paper again going back to what I originally said it would make my life a lot easier if I didn't have to justify the bricks all the time so there must be something for me that I think well actually it's better to do it this way than it is to do it with a pen and paper um, and what that is it's around uh, a lot of the etiquette that surrounds um, the way that um, the responses are created uh, the, the models um, and the way that those responses are dealt with within a group. Um, so uh, to, to give an example, and this is just one simple example, there's lots and lots of other examples of, of the benefits of it. Um, but let's say you're having a, a workshop or a meeting where, you're, where there is quite a contentious issue um, being discussed. Um, if you did that in a traditional way, which a talking shop or pen and paper and so on, there is quite a lot of potential for certain individuals to dominate the conversation, for there to be quite a lot of antagonism if people don't agree with each other and so on. With Lego Serious Play, the focus is on what people have built as the response to the question. And there are rules, which kind of make it a little bit like a game about how you can react to, to somebody's response. And you have to respond to the model, not the person. Mm -hmm. So it diffuses quite a lot of that um, potential uh, tension that there is in, in, in difficult situations. Also, there are rules about when somebody is telling you about their model and interpreting their model for you, you can't say that's wrong. It's their model. It's what they've built. It's what they believe. It's what they think. It's 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 it has credibility as a concrete thing which exists in the world, which it, it, it's, it's quite powerful. Um, and you can't interrupt people, so you have to listen while they're telling you about their, their model. Um, and if you want to ask questions, you ask questions of the model, not the person. Mm. Um, so it's really good for that kind of thing. It's really good. Um, there are rules about everybody builds, everybody, um, everybody shares. So you can't have that situation where in some meetings, some people just go, I'm not getting involved in this because nobody's going to listen to me and I don't want to say my piece. They have to, because that's the rule of the workshop. So you, 
you get lean forward meetings where everybody participates. You don't have that situation where um, certain um, the loudest voices or the most powerful voices will dominate um, all of those sorts of things. So it makes it very good for certain applications, but not very good for some others. So it's Lego series play is no good for training. Um, the idea of Lego series play is it will surface what is really there. Um, so it's no good for situations where we go, where you, you have a workshop where you're going, where you're actually expecting people to arrive at um, a preferred answer, which is, you know, the boss's idea <laughs> or anything like that. But if it's the no program has a definitive answer that is not up for debate. Uh, Lego series play is no good for that. Yeah. No. Two plus two yeah. does equal four. Then you saying five isn't going to help because. Yeah. No. Right. No. But you know that you you just use a different technique for that because yeah. that is that is training. It's not the exploration that comes with something like Lego Series Play. That's what yeah. it's good for. Hmm, that's in, that's really interesting. I do like that. Uh, would you call it a third party perspective? That separation from the individual yeah. that allows yeah. it, the conversation to be. I mean, all, all good coaching techniques say, you know, don't attack the person, you know, talk yes. about, you know, give the feedback on the action, not the individual. And yeah. so it, it's, it's manifesting that into a tangible yeah. something. something it does make it much easier to, to make sure that happens because you, you have that physical separation. So, I mean, if it gets really heated, you can literally take the model to the other side of the room and go deal with it over there. Don't, don't be in somebody's face about it. Oh, I see. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Cause yeah. they are separate. You know, your, your thought is separate from you. Your behavior is separate from you, which as you say, in good coaching, that's always supposed to be the case, but it's quite difficult when what you're dealing with is just words coming out of somebody's mouth. So what are the hot topics in the field right now? What's the stuff that either never goes away or is, 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 is surfaces, most you know the, the energy is going into at the moment in terms of, of, of corporate learning yeah i think so just that whole kind yeah. of that whole space that you're operating is is there something that you know it's an old favorite but it never goes away people always are interested in this or um actually most recently i don't know, even with lockdown and covid and how do you make it work remotely i mean just what's um yeah what, what, anything big out there um, I would say, uh, and I know what I'm dealing with at the moment. I don't know whether that's particularly hot, but it's um, what I'm interested in. <laughs> yeah. Um, so a lot of what I'm looking at at the moment um, is to do with uh, futurism. Um, so it's to do with what's what's to come. Um, I got very interested during lockdown one, you know, the first the first part of the franchise. Um, in, in futurism, I did a couple of courses and just found it absolutely fascinating. Um, so that's around the area of um, searching, scanning the horizon for signals of what's what's coming. And, and these signals are things which actually exist at the moment. Um, but using um, techniques of futurism, such as foresight, to kind of extrapolate those into um, what potentially might happen um, or could happen in the future. So, for example, one of the things that I'm looking at um, or have come across recently, um, and I'm very interested in sustainability, I'm very interested in um, climate change and so on, um, is companies who've started uh, growing packaging and building materials out of mushrooms. 
So that's um, a real thing that's actually happening now. But if you start to think about that from a futurist perspective, take that as a signal. And you also look at um, other things which are going on. So there's quite a lot of research going on at the moment around um, uh, the ability of fungi to um, sequester carbon from the atmosphere. So you could, if you if you look at those two signals together and start to go, well, what, what does that mean for the future? Um, you could say, well, maybe if people started building their houses out of fungi um, or these, these fungal bricks, we could, that could actually be a way of pulling down, um, pulling down carbon from the atmosphere. Um, so those are using those techniques, um, along with something like Lego Serious Play, when you're um, facilitating a workshop, is very, very useful for, for innovation workshops, which is a lot of what I'm doing at the moment. I saw a video from, I think it was Shell, and I'm using, it's like on their um, future thinking group or their... Um, yeah. Yeah, and it, this was a long time ago, but mm. um, and they were just there was just this group of people within Shell that just I think they called it event horizon thinking or something like that. But it was yeah. thinking about it's futurism, over, yeah, 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 exactly thinking thinking over the horizon. Um, and so I can imagine, yes, that's um, so that's something that could be a facilitated event through something mm. like a series uh, Lego series play, but it could also then be open to that games-based learning where yep. something's constructed then for this for the specifics of that conversation. Yeah, definitely. That could, be, that could be done for an organization or as a more generic kind of tool for that that would have nothing to do with Lego Serious Play, but we've just created a game that facilitates that kind of thinking. Yeah, yeah, uh, and that's that's another project that I'm involved. I'm I'm involved in a lot of projects at the moment. Um, I think one of the things that's come out of uh, sort of lockdown is that people have a lot. People have to reach out to each other, otherwise they get very lonely because they're not sort of meeting in real life. So I've made a lot more connections over the last year, sort of online with people all over the world, and as a result, I'm involved in all sorts of really really interesting projects. And um, one of the ones I'm, well. I say I'm involved in, this is actually my project. Um, it's a futurism project, um, which I just launched yesterday, in fact. Um, it's, a, it's a creative, initially it's a creative writing project um, using futurist techniques. So inviting people to come um, and bring um, their enthusiasm. They'll be trained. Um, I have, a, I have a, a group of futurists ready to act as mentors. Um, so people will come along, they'll be trained in some basic futurist techniques to go and find some signals which are relevant to them in their work or, or even their home life. Find these signals, interpret them and turn them into um, works of speculative optimism, as we call it. So the idea is, um, again, this has kind of grown out of COVID because everybody's getting a bit down, a bit apprehensive about the future and what may, may possibly happen. So there's a kind of need for this optimism. Um, so we're going to create a book full of uh, optimistic, speculative stories. Um, I, as I say, I, I was talking about, uh, I was talking about the fungi thing. I, my mind's already cooking away in my head, uh, which is a, a nice story about a man who spends a month going backwards and forwards in a kind of grand design style from his new house site, where he's watching his new house grow and his old one decay. So that's my nice little short story I'm doing for this. Uh, but ultimately, um, the idea behind that, it's not just a, uh, 
it's not just about a lot of rose tinted spectacle, nice stories to make people feel happy. Uh, what will happen out of that book um, is from the sales of that book that will go to finance a platform a community-based platform where people can come together and actually start working towards those futures that they've recognised and actually start working on innovation projects um, and um, activism projects and so on to actually work towards those futures. And hopefully we get sponsors on board so we can actually provide grants for those, those bits of work as well. Future Horizon, where do you, if you had to hazard a guess or you're thinking about the future of this, this, this way of thinking? Uh, well, the, the way, the future's way of thinking, the future yeah, of futurism. Yeah, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah absolutely. Uh, so in, in quite a trite way, um, I'm, I've kind of come to think over sort of like the last year, as I say, I've got very involved in futurism, that I, I feel uh, futurism is the future, which is kind of very trite and, and fairly obvious as well. Um, but I think something like COVID um, has really brought home to people that they, they don't know what's around the corner. Um, but if you look at the work of futurists over, over the last 10 years, um, one, of the, one of the organizations I've become quite involved with is the Institute for the Future. They tend to do 10 year forecasts. So every year um, they will put out um, a report which looks at a specific area and it looks at it in 10 years time. So last year uh, they put out a really interesting report called the future of work, which looked a lot at what, what would be happening 10 years down the line with AI. Um, and they've been doing these forecasts since the 60s. Um, and if you look at the forecasts from nine, 10 years ago, they were forecasting the pandemic. They were saying, this is going to happen. Um, not that they, they don't, they don't, I, I guess one of the important things to mention about this is they're not saying we're predicting, so we're not making predictions, but they, they, they do this kind of speculative looking forward. Um, and they were definitely talking about global pandemics quite some time ago. With the new style of travel and the speed yeah. of transfer that people have from country to country, if something yeah. is going to go big. Right. And, and, the things, and the things that were happening with um, uh, encroachment upon animal habitats and transfer of disease from one species to another, it was only, it was only a matter of time before a disease came along which was going to be really problematic not just something you could just contain and get rid of we don't know which day it's going to happen but there's a very no. good chance that this is yeah. going to happen <laughs> so so i i think the pandemic has actually made a lot of people think actually i need to start looking forward i need to start looking on the horizon for these potential problems that could come along and and and, and climate change as well you know more awareness of climate change but people are now realizing that these these kinds of techniques these ways of thinking are going to become increasingly important. And I'm, I'm you know, really excited about the possibilities of, of making those into sort of gameful and playful experiences for people to, to learn from. So with virtual reality and AI and organisations that are large organisations like, I mean, EA Sports and people like this that are in this <laughs> large game, have they, have they got people that are actively in this space because I know it's a game, but do they, the, the future of training people, we know that people have virtual reality helmets, but et cetera. So is there this, it's all eventually going to converge into one spot where the largest organizations will have software that the layman can buy and create their own 
family games. I mean, is, are we on a path where we go, it might not be in our lifetime, but it, it, it may very well turn up. Well, I think one of the things that I've, I've found, and I feel we've, we've digressed very much, I'm not so complaining from sort of uh, game-based learning, but it's great because I love talking about futurism as well. Um, I think one of the things that I've learned is that people have an expectation, we have a kind of cognitive bias that the future will, will go on much as the past has or, or the present is. So we expect the future to be very much like now, when in actual fact, it, it's not. It's, you know, 10 years down the line will be very different from now. If we actually look back um, and see the kind of changes that happened in 10 years, um, they are quite big. Um, so I, I think the answer to all of your questions there is yes. I mean, certainly the, the, the history of computing tells us that um, what happens is things become widely available and cheap very quickly. Um, so there's no reason to suspect that shouldn't that shouldn't continue. I have this sense of, of um, you know, people being able to create their own games at a local level. Yeah. That allows organisations through to families, through to, it doesn't matter whatever it is, but to create those kind of, um, maybe even learning, you know, for, as a, as a parent, <laughs> I want my, I want my child to understand this and I'm going to create something that they can, you know, play with, play in through some sort of intervention with AI. Can you create this for me, please, Jeeves? And off it goes. And, you know, I don't know. I just, I can see a future where that becomes, yeah. this this terminology that we're using becomes absolutely mainstream. Yeah. I mean, in terms of, if, if we look at entertainment games, games are rapidly becoming bigger than movies. So the, the amount of money that's going into games is much, much bigger than movies. And at this point, I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I feel a little bit like a stage magician and I'm going to have to sort of, I'm going to have to get you to confirm that I've not spoken to you before about this and I haven't coached you in any way. Um, but I've got another project, which is about making games. <laughs> no, no, you definitely haven't, don't worry. I'm, I'm, not, I'm so, not a shell. I've not been put into yeah. play to just serve the questions. <laughs> So one of the one of the contacts I made last year um, is a guy um, who is uh, called Eric Agudello, and he actually uh, was kind enough to be one of the speakers at my TEDx conference that I organised at the end of last year. Um, but towards the end of last year, he goes, "I've got this this idea." Well, it's not. It's, it's more than an idea. It's something that he'd been working with and uh, testing with his students at the University of Krakow for quite some time. Um, but he. He said, I think time's come now to monetize it. So I'm involved in this Kickstarter campaign with Eric now. Well, we're, we're launching in June on the Kickstarter. Um, but it's basically a kit and a, a pedagogical framework for um, using games design as a learning tool. So it's, it's kind of a bit meta. It goes back one stage. So it's not about using games for learning. It's about uh, using games design for learning. Nice. So... As an example, let's say you've got you, you're, uh, let's say you're doing a leadership program. You've got a number of learning outcomes that you want your uh, leaders or potential leaders to reach through this learning program. So you build a you build a program that meets these these learning outcomes. One of the ways you could do it is with this this kit and methodology that Eric's come up with. Um, so you, you they turn up on the first day. It's quite a long-term thing, this. Um, generally speaking, what you do is you meet with these people maybe over a period of several weeks for a few hours 
every week or whatever. And you give them um, a box and inside the box are five smaller boxes and inside those five small boxes are materials for uh, prototyping a game. So you, you turn up on the first day, you give them the first box, they open the first box, there's some paper and pens and counters and dice and various other bits and pieces in there. Um, and there's also an instructional video for them how to go about creating a very, very simple game. So you give them the learning outcomes that they, they would be expected to reach normally with their leadership programme. And you go, I want you to create a game that achieves these learning outcomes. So instead of you teaching them those learning outcomes, they have to go and discover those learning outcomes themselves, but they have to build them into a very, very complex system, which is a game. Um, and then there are five iterations and each iteration extends their knowledge of uh, how to use game mechanics in particular ways. It gives them more materials to play with and they build a leadership game, which covers all of those learning outcomes. So at the end of it, they've covered, they've learned all those learning outcomes, they've discovered them for themselves through building this game. But not only that, but they've they've learned some really, really useful transversal competencies along the way, systems thinking, critical thinking, design thinking, um, agile, all of those things that go into actually like creating a game. Um, and bonus, they've created a learning game which can be used for other cohorts to reach those same outcomes. So yeah. It's a, it's a bit meta. It's taking it back even one first stage further with the game-based learning. It's a deeper thing because I've got to think through the variables. I've got to think through the learning yeah. outcomes. I'm on a leadership program about what I might want to develop to as a leader. But yeah. by thinking about how that process would work in a games-based approach, I have to think through all the things that I have to think through yeah. <laughs> to enable that for somebody else. So that's, and yeah. then, I, but I end out with a, a tangible output as well. So that's, yeah. I love that. I love this. Yeah. 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 So, uh, I mean, for example, you have to come up with a scoring mechanism. So you have to think, well, how do I win? How do I win at leadership? What does good look like? Yeah. 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 And like, how do I, how do I reward that with points yeah. so that people what, are top, people get... know how well they're doing within yeah. the game. Yeah. When do when when is there a punishment for 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 something? Yeah, that's that's yeah. Really interesting. Yeah. I, love, I love the sound of it. It's fascinating <laughs> stuff. Well, is it? I'm I'm alert to time, you know, and people's yeah, yeah. <laughs> people's willingness to listen and 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 you know, I, I I always think when we touch all of these things quite lightly, they're all indicators of topics that you know have great depth behind them then so if somebody wants to reach out to you sarah i will put it in the description for the episode but where would you say the first port of call for contacting you would be well, i guess I'm, I'm pretty much always on linkedin so that's that's usually a good place to start um my magazine uh is ludagoggy.co.uk so you can go and, oh, got a bit from um you can go and take a look there but I, I guess if you want to get in touch probably uh first protocol is probably linkedin okay well i'll make i'll make sure that i put the links in as well cool. so, <laughs> so they're all there so listen just for me it's been fascinating i mean it really has <laughs> it hurt. it's it's you know, I'm I'm in the learning game, so I'm alert <laughs> to these things. But I think what it's done is it's created a little bit of a, a motivation to um, be more aware and to understand how I might pull this in in a way that maybe I would have been not hesitant to, but may not have been so 
alert to maybe where it's got to <laughs> going and, and to be part of something that can to add to the thinking. So and I'm, I'm sure yeah. that will do that for other people as well. So from me and, and the listeners, um, thank you so much for coming on this episode of Leadership Bites. It's been really well, interesting. Thank you for listening to me. <laughs> thank you. That's it. So I hope you enjoyed the episode. Please share so others get to hear about us and subscribe so you keep up to date on new episodes. Also visit livingbrave.com if you want to connect with me and find out more about executive coaching, team effectiveness and changing culture. Oh, and of course you can buy my book, Living Brave Leadership on Amazon. So on that note, see you soon.